everybody, everybody's here in the auditorium, okay? And then if you can help with uh, Noah's prayer letter today, just show up in the copy room and get that together. And those of you who volunteered to help uh, move some things tomorrow, uh, make sure that you see Brother Job uh, for any details that you need, all right? Okay, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to take the next, however long it takes, but it may be a few, it may be a handful, it may be more. I don't even know exactly. But we're going to take some time and preach through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I, I like doing chapter studies. I've, I've discovered this, uh, that... Um, there's a lot of truth that comes out when we do chapter studies and you put it in its context, of course. And we do that. We preach verse by verse through full books. Um, but we're going to take some time and specifically talk about Rome, or 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which uh, you and I would know as the love chapter. And there's a lot that the Apostle Paul teaches us regarding what godly love is what it looks like, and even the reason in which Paul wrote this. And verses 1 through 13, which is the whole chapter, Paul talks about this one subject. And so we're going to take some time and take our time as we walk through this passage of Scripture over the next uh, handful of weeks or so and let the Word of God teach us some things that we need to be reminded of. Um, before we... Well, let's go ahead and read this whole chapter, and we're not going to cover it all today, obviously. But let's read the whole thing. In verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass, or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. The theme for the messages or walking through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the title is the most important thing. 
At the end of verse 13, Paul says, there are some things that abide, faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. The most important thing is love. And that's where we're going to go through this passage of Scripture. Today, I want to hopefully get through the first three verses of it. And I'll draw your attention to them again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you would help us with the word of God in this uh, message and in this series of messages through chapter 13. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us again more of the kind of love that you have uh, for us. And Father, that our own lives would be modeled after the Lord Jesus Christ and according to the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that principles would be drawn out again for us, that even though we may know them, Lord, we need to be reminded of them and how we ought to operate and live as Christian people in this world. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would use your word to strengthen, to challenge the believer for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing about chapter 13 is that a lot of times this love chapter, it's, it's kind of taken out and isolated by itself. And that's a real problem because you can't take it out of its context. It needs to be, we need to be reminded of the context in which Paul writes these words. He's writing to the church in Corinth. Paul ends chapter 12 with verses 27 to 30, where he says, Now ye, speaking to the members of the church in Corinth, ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And so he's talking about the local church. He's talking to the local church. He's talking about all of you who are members of this church. You have this responsibility. And he says in verse 28, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And so Paul ends uh, chapter 12 talking about uh, the, the New Testament church. He's talking about spiritual gifts that are given to particular members inside of the church. He's talking about the fact that the church ought to work and function as a human body functions, that every part is important, everything's got a job, and the job is to work together for the function of the whole. That's, how he, that's what he's referring to in chapter 12. And Paul recalls, the instruction, or he gives this instruction to the church. Number one, the church is made up of many members. They're all different, 
but each one is placed there by God. He says in verse 18, But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. That's kind of the twofold meaning. Number one, you're there because of the will of God. And number two, he's given you your function inside of that body. God has set the members in the body as it hath pleased him. In other words, the spiritual gifts that he gives you to serve the Lord through the New Testament church, those are ordained of God. It pleases God. So not only are you there by the will of God, but he's also given you a job to do in the church. Okay? So Paul says the church is made up of many members, just like your physical body is. All the parts are different, but each one is necessary. Each one is placed there by God. Number two, he says each one has been given spiritual gifts. Those are to be used in the church to serve the Lord. Number three, each ought to use that gift to build and to edify the whole body. We don't have gifts for our benefit. We have gifts to Number one, glorify the Lord and to edify and build up the church, the body, okay? Number four, he says, there should be no schism in the body. At verse 25, he says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. The word schism here, it means a rift, basically, and so Paul says each is supposed to work this way for the benefit of the whole so that there is no rift in the body, in the church. The church in Corinth is who he's talking to. The church in Corinth thought that some gifts were better than other gifts, and somehow that made them more special in the body than other parts. Paul is setting the record straight, using the human body as the illustration that every part is necessary. And Paul ends chapter 12 with verse 31, where he says, Covet earnestly those best gifts, and yet I show you a better way. You follow that? So the, the gifts are there. The function is supposed to be there. And Paul says, you should covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Essentially, it's good that we have spiritual gifts. It's good that we want spiritual gifts. It's good that we have a role and a function in the church. The church is actually blessed that way. The church in Corinth was super blessed. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that the people in the church of Corinth, they, became, they came behind in no gift, meaning they had the gifts of teaching, they had the gifts of, of healing, they had the gifts of all of these things. They came behind in no gift. And he says, I want to make sure that you don't come behind in the gift of giving as well. That's the context of what he's saying. But he says the church was blessed with all of these spiritual gifts. And he says essentially it's good. For those things. But then he says, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. That means beyond all of these others. It means exceeding. It means out of measure. Meaning that this thing that I'm going to show you is actually so much more important than all the other things. Okay, everybody following this? It's infinitely better than just using your gifts, he says. This one thing. Everybody follow that? 
Then he moves into chapter 13. And he says, here's the thing. That's actually so much bigger and so much better than everything else. And he talks about love. We're going to see three things in just as we walk through this whole chapter. And today we're going to talk about the preeminence of love. And as we move through, we're going to talk about the marks of love. What does it actually do and what does it actually look like? And then as we get to the end, we're going to talk about the permanence of love. And like I said, 1 Corinthians 13 is often taken out of the context of the letter in which it's found. Chapter 12 through chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is dealing with the subject of spiritual gifts Or to be more accurate, the excesses of spiritual gifts. They were abusing some things. The Corinthians were exalting what they might have considered the spectacular gift of tongues. Uh, Speaking in tongues was speaking in known languages. It wasn't some angelic language. It wasn't some gibberish that was going on. It was a gift for the time because the scriptures were not complete yet. And Paul says, when that which is perfect is come, he's referring to the scriptures, then that which is in part is done away. Meaning the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, it's going to go away. It was given for a sign. It was given to verify the message. The Corinthians were exalting those kinds of things above others and somehow thinking that that made them more spiritual than those who did not have it. And they were abusing it. And so Paul was setting and correcting, especially in chapter 14, correcting how it should be used. If it's really of God, it's going to be in this way. And here's what's going to happen is if you do it any other way, that's not of God. That's what Paul is talking about. Chapter 13 is sort of a parenthesis between what went before and what comes after. And Paul kind of just stops in the middle of that instruction to show these Corinthians a more excellent thing, a more excellent way than the use of those spiritual gifts. The way of love, he says, is to be preferred above the way of these other spiritual gifts. There are things that are going to go away, but there's something that is not going to go away. The Christian is not to do away with spiritual gifts. He's not to make, he's not, but he's also not to make those things, the aim of his life or the seeking of the use of those gifts for himself. No, he's actually to make the aim of his life love for the brethren and love of Christ, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is something that every Christian actually should manifest. People have different spiritual gifts. People have different jobs inside of the body. We're not all the same in that regard. But in one area where everyone is the same is actually love one for another. Gifts differ in kind. Gifts differ in value and they differ in degree. But the one thing that, shouldn't, that is never differing that Paul says is the most important thing is actually love one for another. Okay, so 
here's the foundations. Everybody on the same page? Everybody understanding this? Spiritual gifts are important to the proper function of the church. And if we don't exercise those spiritual gifts, we certainly can sabotage the work of God from a human perspective. But love is far more important because love is the core and uh, listen, love is the core of the very first commandment and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. What's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said on these hang all the law and the prophets. Love is the core of the first and second. It's a spiritual grace that is given to every Christian that can be produced in his or her life, but only by the transforming power of God because God is love. And what is the first of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Love. The Greek word that Paul uses, we, it's translated as charity in English, but it's the Greek word agape, and it means love. It's not sensual love. It's not love of affection. It's not friendship. It's not warm and fuzzies. That's not what it is. Agape love is primarily a love of commitment or decision, a decision of the will that leads to the sacrifice of self for another. Everybody follow that? It is a commitment. It is a decision. It's a decision of the will that leads to the sacrifice of self for another. It is the care and concern of the well-being of another. It is love that causes somebody to respond in the way that they ought to respond. It's a love response to someone who is unworthy of love, which all of us are. This is what agape love is. It's responding to somebody who is unworthy of love. That's what God did for you and me. Agape love is derived from the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved the sinner when the sinner was unlovable or unlovely. God's response to sinful men who were his enemies was agape, love. Now, this kind of love is not a feeling. It can involve feelings, but it's not based on feelings. This is a love which reaches out. This is a love that lavishes blessing on those who are unworthy of blessing. It's a love which proceeds from the nature of the lover rather than the worth of the person who is being loved. You understand what that means? It's something that is out of the nature of a person, not based on the worth of the person who is being loved. In other words, love, agape love, is not conditional. Do you follow this? It is not, I will love you as long as this condition and this condition and this condition and this condition is met. 
That is not how God loves you and me. It is unconditional. This is the kind of love that the Apostle Paul is talking about that ought to be the mark of a New Testament church. And it is the most important thing. It's a decision to treat another person with concern, with care, with thoughtfulness. It's a giving, not a taking. It's something given, not received. Now, certainly we can receive love, but that comes from someone else. One man said, love ever lives and love ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative to give and to give and to give. In other words, it's not going to be I love you as long as I get something in return. And this is the most important thing. And you're going to see why as we walk through this passage. Because it looks like a certain thing. It looks a particular way. And anything other than that is not real love. And so we're going to consider this because I think it's important to be reminded because it has everything to do with the unity of the body. And without unity in the body, there can be no power of God for the work of God. And it's the Spirit of God who gives it all. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. But Paul teaches us some things. And so first of all, we're going to consider the preeminence of love. In verses 1 through 13, or excuse me, 1 through 3. Let's read them. Well, I don't need to read them again. I read them already, and we'll walk through them. But the whole idea of these verses here is that love is distinct from and superior to anything that we can be or anything that we can do physically. So regardless of what we do, if it's not infused with and carried out through the love of God, all the things that we do are a colossal waste of time. Paul says here, notice, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. That was the one spiritual gift that that those in the church at at Corinth were like elevating as something super spiritual. And Paul says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and don't have charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, he's talking about those spiritual gifts. And though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. 
Again, the whole idea here is that love is distinct from and it's superior to than anything that we can be or anything that we can do. And so regardless of what gift we have, regardless of what we do, if it's not infused with, if it's not carried out through the love of God, all of it is just a waste of time. Here's the preeminence of love. First of all, number one, in verse one, love is higher than the sensational. He says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. In other words, he says, you know what? You might be the best speaker that there is. But there's no substitute for love. No matter how great your oratory, no matter how great your... What's the word I want to use? Presentation of something that is true, no matter how great your outlines are, no matter how deep it goes, and no no matter how much you can exposit the word of God, you can be a great orator, you you can speak well, you can have beautiful speech, you can have brilliant rhetoric. Without love, he says, you're simply making a bunch of noise. That's what you're doing. He uses words like sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. The word sounding brass, it means to make a loud noise. Tinkling cymbal, it's a clanging. Clang, 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 clang. How beautiful is that to listen to? Right? It carries the meaning. It was, it was, it, the idea here is, is that <laughs> in the marketplace in that day, they, it, it was said that, that merchants would hire these musicians to come and play in the marketplace and these brass instruments would be playing and cymbals would be you know, being played and it was supposed to create this atmosphere, this jolly atmosphere, this, this atmosphere of fun and so on. It's fun to go to the marketplace. And we've got the music and it's like entertainment and it's all of this. But the problem was, it made it really hard to communicate because of the noise. You know how that's applied? I can have all of this down, and I can give beautiful rhetoric, and I can have the outlines, and I can, I can, I can be speaking all of this truth, and I can come across as authoritative, and it can be all deep. But you know what? If I don't have love in my heart, and somebody else doesn't see that, I'm making a bunch of noise, and I can never communicate the actual truth, at least not well. And it doesn't sink into somebody else's heart. And to them, it's just a bunch of noise. Paul says, you, you can have the sensational. You can have the ability. You can have the rhetoric. But if you don't have love, you're making a bunch of noise and you'll never communicate the truth that someone's heart really needs. He says, you're like a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. You know what a cymbal is, right? We were just at the Christmas concert last week at the university and they play some really good music. In some places, though, 
that cymbal would come out and boom, it would make that, that sound that's just like, it's piercing, right? Or the, the triangle, is that the cymbal? I don't even know what a cymbal is. But cymbals are these, right? And it has that piercing sound to it. In the right moment, it's really effective, right? In the moment, mixed in with all of the music, it really gives some dynamic and it gives, it's really effective. But have you ever heard a cymbal solo? I'm going to get up and play a, a solo for you. Bang, 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 bang. It's beautiful to listen to, isn't it? Man, that took some skill and some effort. You've never heard a cymbal solo. Why? Because it's not exciting all by itself. It's not fun to listen to. It's not effective at all. It's actually irritating and annoying. And the idea that Paul is saying is no matter what you say or how you say it or how accurate it might be without love and love of the Spirit of God, it's just a bunch of noise. And without love, it's just talk. And what do we know about talk? Talk is cheap. It's not our beautiful words that demonstrate what is real. The proof is in our actions towards others. And I love you is empty without the proof of it. You've heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You can say all the right words and you can have the most accurate truth, but it's never going to be communicated to the heart unless there's proof that there's genuine love. Love in action, not words. That's what Paul says. That's what agape love is. It is a decision. It is an action. It's a choice of the will to respond in a particular way, and it's not based on the worth of the person being loved. The bottom line is this. The person who exercises his tongue in a spiritual fashion, yet does not do so with the love of God in him or her, that person is no better than the heathen worshipers. In fact, his worship is man-centered. It's all about me and not God-centered. So love, according to Paul, it is higher than the sensational. It's higher than those beautiful gifts. Verse 2 tells us that love is higher than the spectacular. Notice what he says here. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. What did Jesus say? If you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed and you command this mountain to be cast into the sea, it shall be done. 
I can remove mountains because I have such great faith. But if you don't have charity, he says, I am nothing. Love is higher than the spectacular. This verse mentions some pretty spectacular abilities. But even if a person was able to do all of these things and he did not have the love of God in his heart, he's nothing. Spiritual gifts that are exercised in a vacuum, that are devoid of love, they're less than worthless. In fact, they can actually cause spiritual harm. You know that's true? I can speak truth, and I can be so direct, and I can just be saying everything that's right, but I can be doing it like a hammer. And I can cause more spiritual harm than good. We say, oh, it's true. I'm holding to the Bible. It's true. But Jesus said we're to speak truth but we're to speak it in love. Because God speaks to us truth, but God does it in love, and he proves it in the fact that he sent his son to die in our place. That's why he says in Ephesians 4.32, be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, forgiven you. Did we deserve that? No. He responded in love when we were actually unworthy of it. He speaks truth, but he does it in love. And it's important at times that we speak truth to people. And there are times when Truth needs to be given, and like this is something that needs to be addressed, and it's something that needs to be corrected in someone's life, and we need to give the truth. But if we don't do it in a sense of love and love for care for the soul, if it's not evidenced, if it's not proved, the message is never going to get across. And it's not actually going to be a help to anyone. It could actually drive them farther away. It could cause more harm than it does good. But we can stand on the fact that I'm speaking truth. It's the Bible. Oh, it goes far beyond just than just speaking truth. We ought to speak truth, but it goes far beyond that. It ought to be given in love. Because it's care and concern for the soul. And there are times, you know, when we need to encourage the brethren we need to do that. There's other times when we need to rebuke and exhort with all long suffering. You ever, we forget that part. We need to rebuke, but we forget about the fact that it's with long suffering. Sometimes things don't change overnight. Sometimes it takes some effort and it takes some work. Sometimes it takes the fact that we really need to have a heart that I will help you because I care for your soul. Not about just correcting you, but I want to help you. And you help me. 
And sometimes I need to be corrected. Sometimes I need things brought to my attention. And I need to make a choice that I'm going to respond in the right way to those things. But listen, listen, if it's not done from a heart of love, it just comes across as criticism or it comes across as a hammer that just beats somebody down and doesn't actually do any good for their soul. That's the danger. That is the danger. Not always is the case. Sometimes people need a good kick in the pants. That is true, too. So we don't discount that. But that's the danger if we're not careful. And Paul says, love is so much higher than the spectacular. And those spiritual gifts, like maybe it is a spiritual gift to teach. Maybe we have a spiritual gift that is there for for correction and so on. But if it's done in a vacuum, if it's devoid of love, it is less than worthless. It actually could cause harm. Love is the preeminent thing, Paul says. In verse 3, Paul says love is higher than the sacrificial. In verse 3, he says, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits nothing. Do you notice the different words that he's using? In verse 1, he says, you're just making a bunch of noise. In verse 2, he says, you are nothing. In verse 3, he says, it profits you nothing. But he says, you could give all of your goods. You could sell everything that you have to feed the poor. Amen. You could be a martyr. You could give your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, what good did it do you? What did it profit you? If we do those things without love in the heart, it becomes a waste of time. It doesn't profit us even one bit. You know, we can give all of our time at the church And we can serve down at the church, but we can do it grudgingly. It's not unto the Lord. And if it's not unto the Lord, it's pretty much an eternal waste of time. Now, don't let that be one thing that says, oh, well, I'm not doing it unto the Lord, so I'm just not going to do it at all. No, that's not the point. That's not what you take away from that. The point that we take away from that is that all that I would do and all that I would give and all that I would sacrifice, the motive behind it has got to be that I love the Lord, number one, and I love my neighbor, number two. It's not about me. And I think the emphasis is pretty clear in these first three verses that when love is absent from the things that we are trying to do, all the things that we put a spiritual label on, all the things that we say, this is why. When love is absent, the Christian is no better 
one who is all talk at best. At worst, no different than even the Hebrew. Number two, when love is absent, the Christian is actually nothing at all. Not of value. And number three, if love is absent, the Christian should not expect anything. Regardless of what others may think about us, regardless of our abilities, regardless of our gifts, without love, it ends up being something that is not worth the time. It ends up being something that is not worth the effort. So, let me conclude. And I'll conclude with this. What lessons are we to learn from this portion of Scripture? The first lesson, I believe, ought to be this. Love, in God's estimation, in God's estimation, is the bottom line. If we have love, we actually have everything. If we do not have love, then we have nothing. That's a foundational truth because God is love. Love is the motive for what God did. And so love in God's estimation is the bottom line. Another lesson is this. Any spiritual gift that we may have, even if we have it to the maximum, even if we have it to the fullest, it's not as important as showing Christ-like love. Love takes precedence over spiritual abilities. And the third lesson is love is the motive that God actually expects from us when we are doing our service to the Lord. It's love that gives every deed and every word and every act its actual value. You understand that? It's love that gives the things we do actual value. Not in just the doing or the saying of the things. Humans look on the outward, but God looks on the heart. And a heart without love doesn't impress God even one little bit. Oh, we can be so impressed with ourselves. And we can be so impressed with my spirituality or the way that I see myself. But you know what? What he's telling us here is that a heart without love doesn't impress God at all. You can have the spectacular. You can have the sensational in the eyes of men. But that's not what impresses God. This kind of love is a supernatural love that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a Christian. And the Bible says that the love of God, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Whose love? God's love. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So, how can we 
get this love? How can we operate in this way? Well, it comes as an outgrowth of our daily relationship with Jesus Christ. It is Christ, through the Holy Spirit, who gives us His power to love in His way. And the closer that we are to the Lord, the more of His love is manifest in us towards others. You follow that? Can I set about to go like, well, I'm just going to love more. I'm going to do a better job. I'm just going to love better. Can we do that? No, the, 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 the issue is my relationship with the Lord. That's the issue. And if somebody doesn't have the love in their heart, it's because there's a relationship problem between them and the Lord. No matter how spiritual we think we are. And the closer I draw to the Lord, the more of His love is manifest through me towards other people. We can trust that Christ will grant the power through the Holy Spirit of God to show this love. Make an application. Why not? You ready for this one? If that's the case, that I can trust the Lord because I'm drawing closer to Him and His love is manifest through me towards others, then I ought to be able to trust Christ to grant me the power through the Holy Spirit of God to love those that are different than me, that think differently than me, I ought to be able to trust Christ through the power of the Spirit to overcome personal hurt, personal bitterness, scars that we have in our hearts towards others who've mistreated us. Trusting Christ through the power of the Spirit to love those who don't look like me, act like me, dress like me, smell like me, think like me. To love as Christ loved, we must sacrifice ourselves to God first, to love others. This is where it gets difficult. And this is where it gets hard. And we can say words like, I love you all day long. but they actually don't manifest it. Unless it is the love of Christ that is being manifested in my life through the Spirit towards others in the way that I respond, in the way that I act. Love is difficult, especially to define. But I'll just give you what one writer said when he was asked the question, what is love? And the answer that he, was give, that he gave was this. Love is silence when your words would actually hurt. Love is patience 
when your neighbor's been cursed. Love is deafness when there's a scandal that flows. Love is thoughtfulness for another person's woes. Love is promptness when stern duty calls. Love is courage when the bad things fall. There's a lot that's in that, and we won't break all of that down. But if you'll notice, it's all about the response that someone has towards others, towards circumstance, and so on. And as we move forward in chapter 13, the next thing that we're going to see, starting in verse 4, is what it actually looks like. As we are defining it, let's let the scriptures define it for us and tell us what it actually looks like. Because we can have an idea. Oh, I love you. Here's my version or my definition of it. But the Bible tells us pretty specifically what God's version is and what that looks like. And may the Lord help us to have a heart that says, I can be deficient. And Lord, I want to align with you and I want my life to be more like Jesus Christ. I'm willing to see those areas that I am deficient in. And Lord, I need your help to grow. Amen? So we're going to stay in this chapter for a few weeks. And I'm going to ask that the Lord would work in my own heart, number one. And then number two, that the Lord would use it to build us and grow us, amen, as a church, as a body, for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd challenge us with truth. <clears throat> and Lord, that our heart would be, I want to submit to truth. And I'm thankful, Lord, that you give truth that you give it in love. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be, Lord, I want to love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my being. And Lord, I want to love others as you've commanded, as I would even love myself. And Lord, I pray that you would grow us into the image of Jesus Christ, who is the perfect man the perfect example. And Lord, that our lives would more reflect him every day as we draw closer to the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.